Hello there, listener. As I'm sure you've gathered by now, if you're hearing my voice this early in an episode, all by itself, it means something has gone terribly wrong. And so it has. It falls to me, I'm afraid to say, to announce that due to circumstances far beyond our control, we will not be releasing a regularly scheduled episode of the Never Better podcast this week. However, in the interest of maintaining the pitifully small audience we do have, it seems prudent to release something, anything. And so here we are, relaxing by a roaring fireplace with a piping hot mug of chamomile tea in hand, seated comfortably in an enormous leather easy chair. Or a pleather one, if you have elected to live a life free from animal cruelty. Join me, won't you? As I share a number of completely pointless personal stories in this, the premiere and, possibly, only, episode of an unofficial spin-off podcast called The Anecdote Explosion Salad, brought to you by Chili's. Chili's. You'll end up back here someday. In Mrs. Garner's first grade class, we all had to do a unit on the geography of Virginia. It was a way for the state to make sure kids knew what mountains are, mostly. Each page of the little workbook they gave us had a segment of a map and an inane multiple-choice question about it. You'd see a green square with a blue splotch in the middle and have to answer the following riddle. What does the blue splotch represent? A. A lake. B. A mountain. C. A house. D. A dinosaur. Like you might expect, I was bored out of my skull. To alleviate this a little, I had taken to drawing tiny rocket ship shapes around the correct answers as opposed to your standard oval. I was pretty pleased with my work and had figured there was nothing terribly objectionable about it, even for Mrs. Garner, a terrifying authoritarian with a face like a cliff hikers keep falling off of. I think her dream job would have been censoring movies for depicting laughter. She was pacing the room while we rocket-shipped the answers, and when she got to me, I was expecting to hear either something like, That's neat, or the warm, quiet sound of wordless approval. Instead, I got lifted out of my chair by the back of my collar and hauled breathlessly out into the hallway. Miss Garner had ice in her eyes, and I could feel myself tearing up just from her stare before she'd even said anything. She held up my workbook full of spaceships and hollered a foot from my face, you think this is okay? The book's cheap, dried beaver cud pages flapped sadly as she shook it in front of my watery little eyes. I don't think I even said anything. Still irate, she ushered me back to my desk and promised to call my parents. The kid next to me asked what had just happened and why I was crying, to which I, ever the rogue, coolly pretended, while genuinely crying, that I was fake crying on purpose for a joke that he would just have to wonder about. To demonstrate, I raised my fists to my eyes, mimicked going boo-hoo, and mustered up a derisive fake laugh to cover up an actual sob. I don't know what that looked like, and I don't remember what reaction it got either. But six-year-olds are pretty dumb, so I might have gotten away with it. Anyway, 
it was 20 years before I realized that I wasn't very good at drawing rocket ships at the time, and it probably looked like I'd filled my geography workbook with little doodles of penises. My junior year of high school, there were these three guys, friends and bandmates, Jamie, Ryan, and Josh, who all had the same history teacher during different periods throughout the week. Now, I don't know where they got this idea, but at some point they decided they wanted to see if they can convince the teacher, Ms. Wyman, that James Garfield, 20th President of the United States, had once indulged in cannibalism. The whole thing took two days. Jamie had her class Wednesday morning, and at the first mention of President Garfield, he raised his hand and said, Wasn't he a cannibal? Ms. Wyman, a genial, generally befuddled-seeming older lady with a haircut like an acorn cap, shook her head and said, No, I don't think so. So no luck yet. But this was merely phase one. Ryan had history Wednesday afternoon. Right as Ms. Wyman got to the first paragraph in the textbook about Garfield, his hand shot up, and he said, Didn't he eat a lady? Or like part of a lady? Ms. Wyman shook her head again and said, I don't, I don't think so. But it was too late. The seed of doubt had been planted. Phase three, Thursday morning. Josh's turn. This was the part I was actually there for. He was telling everybody ahead of time that uh, this is what he was going to do. That's how I know about it in the first place. What Josh had told us was supposed to happen was that as soon as President Garfield's name had been introduced, he would say, Oh yeah, wasn't there some scandal where he, like, ate some woman's leg? You see the escalating specificity of it. A masterstroke. But he never got the chance. What happened instead was Ms. Wyman got to the same paragraph, said something like, The 1880 presidential election was, of course, won by James Garfield. But then she stopped... And she looked around the whole classroom, a full 180-degree sweep with a real this-ought-to-knock-em-dead kind of expression on her face, and she continued, Who, by the way, might have eaten somebody. I was in sixth grade the first time I told a girl I liked her. The feeling had been burning a hole in my chest for a month, or at least a week, certainly a week. And I had to do something about it. However, actually sitting down and having a conversation about it with anyone, particularly her, was certain death and I knew it. So I devised an alternative strategy. My solution was this, and it was elegant. I waited until school was letting out for the day and I spotted her walking about 30 feet in front of me toward the double doors. I inhaled and held my breath as I launched into a brisk power walk in her direction. Right as I caught up to her, without stopping or even slowing down, I frantically exhaled, You know I like you, right? and started pushing past people to get to the exit. From somewhere behind me, I heard her say, What? And that was the last time we interacted.
One year at Boy Scout summer camp, this guy Stephen was having a really tough time with his powdery merit badge. If his assignment had been to make fake dog poop, he would have had dynamite on his hands. But unfortunately, as he kept dejectedly telling people, it was supposed to be an ocarina. The last night of camp, as we all gathered around the bonfire to cook some shitty blueberry cobbler in Dutch ovens that had never been cleaned, Stephen got all five days' worth of his pottery leavings and, like a true misunderstood artist, decided it was time to consign them to the flames. The adults thought this was a hilarious idea, and they were right. With all his failed attempts, he ended up dumping maybe 15 lumps of sad, dry clay into the fire, while everyone else cheered on the destruction of his dreams. After a moment, the excitement passed, and we all went back to talking amongst ourselves and waiting for our undercooked blueberry dirt slime to be ready. But before long, a strange noise started emanating from the middle of the bonfire, almost like the whistling of a tea kettle. Those of us closest to it who heard it looked at each other, confused. And right as we did, the whistling was drowned out by two other sounds in quick succession. First, a noise that, for all the world, sounded like a tiny shotgun going off. And then, shortly thereafter, the sound of Assistant Scoutmaster Don, a guy who, just as a side note, looked exactly like Dale Gerber from King of the Hill, shouting, What the fuck? in front of a bunch of kids. We had to take cover from the fire for about five minutes, ducking behind logs like we were in a foxhole on Omaha Beach as bits of hot pottery came shooting out one after another. It turns out, if you're bad at pottery in the exact way Stephen was, you end up baking a lot of air bubbles into the clay. And if you reheat your malformed dog turds, for example in a bonfire, those air bubbles will eventually expand with sufficient force to turn that pottery into flaming shards of fast-moving shrapnel, which in turn may deal the assistant scoutmaster a glancing blow that makes him wander around all evening pissed off at the Superman Band-Aid in the middle of his forehead. One afternoon, my third grade art teacher walked my class through what we were supposed to do if Jimmy Phipps ever came back to school. By her telling, Jimmy was a kindergartner who'd been expelled some years prior for, and I quote, being too strong and mean. He'd been flipping over tables, throwing food everywhere, and none of the teachers were powerful enough to stop him. So if he ever showed back up, what we all had to do was sit in the dark and be very quiet and very still until he went away. And that's how my teacher disguised my very first active shooter drill. There was this one year at Boy Scout summer camp where all the older kids spent all their time making stuff out of duct tape, which, for some reason, was the coolest thing you could possibly do at the time. We're talking wallets, socks. One of them even made a hammock that he slept in for two nights. Um, except on the third night it came unstuck from the tree at around one in the morning, and if you made fun of him for it, he would sweep the leg on you. This kid, Alex, who for all the world looked like Josh Peck circa 2004, wanted to hang out with these guys so bad. But he had nothing in common with a bunch of 16-year-olds besides leg hair. However, he was so determined to fit in that he tried making his own duct tape socks. He did this 
with no guidance. And the thing is, when you make those, you're supposed to fold the tape over itself so it sticks to itself instead of you. But Alex, skipping toward the end result as fast as he could, just duct-taped his big white athletic socks to his legs all the way up to the knee, and it took like an hour of him hollering in the first aid tent before they got it all back off him. The house I lived in junior and senior year of college was the site of a handful of pretty good parties. There was a keg out in the back porch, a bar in the living room, some drinking games in the kitchen, a dance floor, live music in the basement, the works. We mostly invited people we knew and friends of friends, but a few unknowns would filter in every now and again, what can you do? One time, though, the rando was this roided-out gym freak who kept trying to pick fights with guys about how much they could lift. It sounds like I'm making it up, I'm not. Most people didn't pay him any attention, but he finally got this idiot friend of a friend named Luke going back and forth with him, shouting three-digit numbers at each other. Bro, there's no way you can bench 350. Fuck you, dude, you don't know what I got. Etc. Boring shit. My roommates and I gathered around them in case we had to bounce them out of the house. It probably would have taken all four of us. Thankfully, as we got into position, our friend Shane drifted serenely between the two of them, saying, I bench press beautiful women. Their curiosity now peaked. The two goons followed him, presumably hoping to learn his secrets, as he walked out the front door and face-planted off the porch. In fifth grade, our art teacher was this awful children's book villain named Ms. Perry. She was, by our estimate, infinity years old, and her favorite pastime was shitting all over everything people did in her class. I remember once she told this girl Shannon, who had drawn a pretty respectable dragon, consummate V's and everything, that her picture was pointless because dragons aren't real. The one time I saw her enjoy anything was when she assigned us to make a flash animation, which happened because this story takes place in the year 2000. Most kids in the class hadn't figured out how to make more than one thing move at a time, but my partner Daniel and I managed to finagle it to have a bunch of dinosaurs all snapping at each other. Eventually, one of them would swat a pterodactyl out of the sky and eat it. We have to put some blood on it, Daniel said, and I nodded, seriously. I hated the sight of blood, but at the same time I knew how important it was to ground our art in the real. Ms. Perry spent the second part of class lazily clicking through little animations of ladybugs climbing around sunflowers or whatever until she got to ours. As soon as she saw our T-Rexes and whatnot all clawing around, her face lit up like Christmas. Look at that, she said, and started laughing. Daniel and I glanced at each other, more amazed than proud, but our little moment was interrupted by Ms. Perry's reaction to the pterodactyl getting knocked out of the air. Ha ha ha, she cackled. The blood, the blood! You kids have got to see this blood! I was waiting with some friends in the ticket line outside a Tune Yards concert that was about to start, this being 2014, obviously, when this guy cut into the line ahead of us. 
Apart from this crime, in a complete miscalculation of the vibe, this man had shown up in dress shoes, suspenders, and to top it all off, a little pork pie hat. Like Mumford's least favorite son. He couldn't have been older than 25. My friend and I kept daring each other back and forth to lean over and snap his suspenders, and eventually the peer pressure got severe enough that I actually reached over and did it. I shouldn't have been surprised that he immediately turned around, but I was. However, I was even more surprised by the fact that when I looked to my friend for help, she was raising her eyebrows at the little lost lumineer and pointing at me with both index fingers. My roommates and I are hanging out on Friday evening, waiting for our friend Jason to join us. After ignoring our texts for a while, he finally tells us he can't tonight because of a prior commitment. When pressed, he admits he's at a metal concert that his cousin's going to be playing at downtown at some bar called Champs. The four of us, being assholes, collectively agree that that isn't a good enough excuse not to hang out with us and decide to go bug him in person. We roll up to the bar where they're doing this, and while still out on the sidewalk, are blasted full force in the face with the most god-awful noise you've ever heard in your entire life. I, I say this as someone with at least a passing appreciation of metal. This is garbage. I peek through the doorway, and I see two cavemen in face paint fiddling with the first two frets on their guitars with minimal rhythm, while a drum machine is playing 4100 kick drum 16th notes a second. The audio equivalent of a burst sewage pipe. It's to the point where the door guy for Champs and the door guy for the bar next to it are both in visible pain. After a moment, the song, or whatever, ends. My roommates settle on the idea that I should be the one to go grab Jason. Now, I'm not 21 yet. One of them is. But he doesn't want to be involved. Whatever. I move for the door, and the door guy takes his hands off of his ears and stops me. He says, Hey man, there's a five dollar cover and I'm going to need to see some ID. Inside, the singer, or whatever, hollers in a valorous attempt at a growl. We are malignant Christ. I don't have a dime on me. Plus, I'm only 20 and I hate getting my hands all marked up in Sharpie or whatever they hit you with. However, I don't have the props I would need to fake my way in, so I play it straight. I say, all I'm going to do is go in there, grab my friend, and drag him right back out here. Understandably, the door guy doesn't immediately buy this and stands his ground. Yeah, okay, he says. Money and ID. From the PA system, we all hear, This next song is gonna blow your fucking mind. Undaunted, I argue, Look, do you really think I'm gonna spend any longer in there than absolutely necessary? And as if timed to make my point for me, it is now that the front man bellows, this song is called Torches of Sodomy. So the door guy winces, nods, and waves me on in. But it turns out Jason was going to have to suffer through three more acts before his cousin even came on stage, so we just left him behind and got cooked out.
As my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and I are walking toward the total wine, this frazzled-looking blonde lady comes out of it with three toddlers all clinging onto a shopping cart full of bottles and yammering their fool heads off. Not even forming real words, just kind of going, ya-ba-ga-ba-da-ba-da-ba, like little concussed Flintstones. Without us even facing her, the lady goes, hey! And as we turn towards her, she points to her cart full of wine and says, don't buy too much of this! And then she gestures to the kids, or you'll end up with too many of these! I got made fun of a lot in middle school. I'm just going to lay that out there. But in three years, only one person ever came up with a devastating pun on my name. Now, normally that's the first thing kids go to. It doesn't even have to make any sense, as long as it rhymes, and as long as you say it a lot. Before long, it'll start to wear away at your average middle schooler's self-esteem. Trouble is, not a lot of stuff rhymes with Spencer or Harris. Go on. Your turn. Try to come up with a rhyme that'll wound me. I'll give you 30 seconds. That's time. See, not so easy. On the off chance, though, that you did come up with something, feel free to cyberbully me by emailing it to mailbox at neverbetter.show or sending me a Twitter DM at neverbettercast, all one word, no punctuation. I promise I won't report to you this is a firmly anti-snitching podcast. Anyway, if you can imagine this, I was running my mouth in 7th grade English class one afternoon when this kid Dave destroyed me in a way that still impresses me as much as it did in the moment. Also, as an aside, Dave had a full mustache at age 12, which is wild. I was extremely jealous. Anyhow, while I was taking a breath between pointless run-on sentences, Dave piped up and said, Anybody else suffering from Spencery overload today? It was so clean. It was like in a samurai movie where the guy doesn't even feel that he's been cut diagonally in half. I just said, wow, over and over as the whole room was exploding with laughter. And even the teacher. <laughs> uh, end of story. It was a solid burn. Well, I think that'll about do it for this week. Hopefully you feel nice and rested, if that's what the point of this was. I don't really know what our production schedule is going to be like, but I'm hoping we can have a normal episode for you before too long here. We'll see. It'll all pan out. Everything always does. Not necessarily in the way you'd like or expect, but it will pan out. Somehow. In any case, I wasn't kidding. You actually can email us, and many of you already have, at mailbox at neverbetter.show. 
You can also DM us on Twitter at NeverBetterCast, all one word, no punctuation. And if I don't hear from you that way, hopefully at least you'll hear from us next week. Good night.